So if you couldn't tell, today's message is our next gen is our now. It's one of our core values that we have around here. We went through Jesus as our message. Um, we talked about we love where we live. And one of our core value messages is our next gen is our now. And so here's what I want to do with show of hands. How many of you guys have ever traveled somewhere where your language was not the primary language spoken there? Yeah, a lot of us have. Um, and, you know, you go to that place and maybe things get a little lost in translation. Um, I went to one of those places before. It's one of the, it's an exotic land. You don't even need a passport to get there. And let me tell you, they will not speak English first. That wonderful place is Miami, Florida. Yeah. Man, you go to Cayocho, they are not speaking. It is, especially if you got a little bit of pigment to your skin like I do, they are going Spanish right off the bat. And that's, you know, but sometimes, like if you've ever been to the bayou of Louisiana, they're speaking English. But you're like, that ain't English. You know, if you watch TV shows, the, I watch what the, the guy that hunts gators, and they got to put subtitles on him because that ain't English. I don't know what you're speaking. But there are times when communication can get a little bit difficult when you don't know how to speak a common language. And I think the thing that's hilarious, and I've done this, and a lot of us have done it probably, when you don't speak somebody's language, here's what a lot of times we do. We speak slower and we speak louder. And I don't know what we think is going to happen when we speak slower and louder. Sometimes the slower helps a little bit because they might know a little bit of your language and so they can pick up some things. But why are we yelling at people that don't speak our language? <laughs> like, it's so strange that we're just yelling at folks. It's like, it makes about as much sense. How many of you guys have ever yelled at like your GPS? <laughs> or you've yelled at the person in the other car? They can't hear you. Like, your communication is not working. And sometimes there's a little voice in the back of our heads and we even get a little frustrated like, why don't they understand what I'm saying? Why aren't they getting it? Like, can't they understand what I'm trying to say to them? And today we're talking about the next gen is our now and there's, there can sometimes be a little bit of a communication struggle between generations. And sometimes a previous generation and a, and a, a next generation, they, they have a hard time sometimes communicating and there are times when you may look at this 14, 15, you're like, why don't they just understand? Why don't they just get it? Why don't they, can't they just, can't they just hear what I'm trying to say? But here's what we've got to decide to do. We've got to decide that we're going to learn how to communicate better, not to shout louder. That we're going to understand who it is that we're trying to communicate to. That we're going to learn them. If you ever go to another country and you want to actually learn to speak, you've got to spend time with those people. You've got to be around them. You've got to share common experiences. And I don't know about you, but I care about our next generation. And that means I have to learn their language. I have to understand what they're into. And it doesn't mean that I'm going to cater. We're not going to change the gospel message. We're going to make sure that they understand what it is. Amen. So there are times, though, that we go all out and we try to speak the language. And here's what I want you to understand. If you are older... What I'm not telling you to do is get on TikTok and start doing TikTok dances. <laughs> okay, that is, that is not what I'm trying to ask you to do. I remember there was a time recently, we went on a missions trip, and we were in a place that spoke um, primarily Spanish, and it was a, you know, it was one of those hot, muggy, you've been working hard, it feels like you just came out of a sauna, everything sticking to all your body parts gross type of a day. And there was a 17-ish year old boy and he was hot. 
And so he's trying to speak the language, the Spanish language. And he says, he says this, soy caliente. So to us, we might think that means I'm hot. To them, what they heard was, I'm hot. Like, I need to be, you know, on a magazine type of a hot. And so all the locals, they start, the, the girls start bush, blushing and giggling. And we're like, what's wrong? And they said, he needs to stop saying that. That is, he needs to stop. When you tell a 17-year-old boy that he learned how to tell people he's sexy, <laughs> that became his catchphrase all week long. So caliente. We're like, shut up. Stop doing that. But we have to understand, again, we're going to start learning how to speak that language, how to understand what they're trying to say, because the next gen is going to be our now. Next gen is going to be our now. And when I say next gen is our now, here's what I'm not saying. I'm not saying that the current generation isn't important. I'm not saying the previous generation doesn't matter. God is a God of generation to generation to generation. It's a, it's a tapestry woven throughout scripture. You know, we're in the a city known for its quilt making. It takes piece by piece to make this beautiful quilt. And it takes generation by generation to make this beautiful tapestry of the kingdom of God. So when, I, when you hear next gen is now, it's not to discredit any other generation. It's to help us understand. We've got pieces that we need to graft in to the kingdom. It's like that secret family recipe that's got to be passed down to the next generation. Otherwise, that recipe just loses out. And faith is this wonderful thing that we've got to pass down to the next generation so that we don't lose it. The plan of God is a divine connection between the old and the young. Psalm 79 verse 13. Psalm 79 13 says, Then we, your people, the sheep of your pastor, will praise you forever from generation to generation. We will proclaim your name. God is a God of generations. Matthew Chapter 22, verse 32. I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. Jesus is defining himself by generation to generation to generation. Psalm 102, verse 18. It says, write this down for the next generation. So people not yet born will praise God. He's saying, remember and write it down so that you can pass along the faith to the next generation. Again, the plan of God is one generation pouring into the next. One generation pouring into the next. It's us learning how to share our stories and how to communicate, how to help them understand. And sometimes it can be a little bit difficult, honestly. It can be a little bit difficult to understand the things they do, the things they value, the way they dress. And so what we do is we start looking down on it, making fun of it, because it's confusing to us. You know, there's language they use, it's very confusing to me sometimes because they've taken words that mean something and they've made them mean something completely different. Let me give you some examples. I put them on the screen. Cap is not something you wear on your head to them. Bussin does not something a waiter does. Salty is not something you add to food. Riz is not short for risotto. Tea is not something you drink. And slay is not something that you do to a giant. Now, if you understand what all those words mean, good for you. I, I made a sentence. 
And I said this sentence to my daughter, my, my 16, 15, 16, I think she's 15, she's 15, that's really bad. <laughs> I said this sentence to her, she goes, you better not say that from the stage. That is the cringiest, most embarrassing thing. And I said, guess what? <laughs> Let me give it a shot. <laughs> this feels cringy even reading this. <laughs> Don't be salty when I spill the tea of the gospel. It's not about having mad riz. Living forgiven is what's bussing. I just slayed that sentence. No cap. That's right. I will never use most of those words again. But again, when we say the next generation is our now, it's, it's not saying that we're not going to minister to adults and that we've discounted and discredited that. It's saying we're going to give them a place. And not just where they have a place on Wednesday night, they can come and gather with their friends, but no, a place where they can serve and make a difference and make an impact now. A place where they can pour into others, where they can... They led us in worship today, and there was just a, an energy here and an experience. And man, I, I had a smile on my face, partially because I'm just proud of our students, but also just like... God smiles at this. He sees this and he's excited about this. Joel 2, verse 28. This is a, a prophetic about Jesus coming. It says, afterward, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions. First off, if you're old, don't be offended that you're old. Okay? I know it's hard. I'm getting older and older. And I know it's hard. It's difficult when your body starts making noises it shouldn't be making. And when all the hair starts either falling out or turning gray, that can be a weird place to be. But we need you. We need your experience. We need your energy. We need your wisdom. We need your dreams. And see, here's the thing about dreams and visions. Dreams are things that need an idea and a plan. They need a vision of how to execute those dreams. And so what I see in this passage is some of the older people have these dreams and some of the younger people have the plan and the action steps to make the dreams into vision that becomes reality. We need each other. We need each other. And I just want to take a minute to applaud our church. Because we are a church full of different generations. From boomers to babies, they're all here. And they're all here with one purpose and goal in mind. And I feel like that's just to meet and follow Jesus. To meet and follow Jesus. And for, to my younger people out here, my, my 25, 30-ish and under crowd, I want you to understand this. There are people in this room that are far ahead of you. And this is not the type of church that they grew up in. This is not necessarily the type of church that they're completely comfortable with. The music might be a little loud, that sometimes the lights can be a little bit shiny, but here's what they've decided to do. They've said, I'm going to make this place my church because I care about the next generation. And I want a place where I can bring my young adults and my teenagers, and they are here, sometimes not at their own preference, but because they believe in the body of Christ. We got the cool old people in our church. I'm sorry. We just do. And I want to applaud them for being here. And thank you guys. And to continue to tell you, we need you. We need your stories. We need your experience. We need your dreams. Honestly, we need your finances because you all got money and that 15-year-old don't. 
But we need you as a part of this church. I wrote this, 419 is about uniting every age, every life stage around the undying message of Jesus. The undying message of Jesus. The message will never die. It's just how strong is it going to be in our community? How strong is it going to be in our nation? For 300 years, each generation has kind of had it better than the last. We've been passing along a little bit better, a little bit better. Things have gotten a little bit better. Each generation has passed things along a little bit better. Nicer stuff, bigger things. Even the, our, the faith of Christianity seems to be, have grown and grown, but now we're at a crossroads. And now we're at a space where my generation might be the first one to hand off something that's just not better, not the same. Where the term, I'm a Christian, is becoming not the prevalent thing anymore. I'm a follower of Christ. That's, that's just starting to become not the norm with the generation that I'm passing things down to. And it seems like our streak of constantly leveling up is in major danger. Our streak of passing along the good news of the gospel seems to be kind of losing out a little bit. And I, I want you to understand that that's, that's, that's not okay. It's not the first time though. It's not the first time this has happened. And we see evidence of this in scripture. In scripture, there's a guy named Abraham. If you've been in church, um, you know about Abraham. Abraham was given a promise. Ultimately, that promise led to Jesus, which is a humongous blessing, obviously changed everything. But Abraham had a son. His son was named Isaac. Isaac had a son named Jacob. Jacob had a son named Joseph. And then a few more generations down to Moses. And after Moses, there was a seventh generation and there arose a leader and his name was Joshua. And each generation seemed to be passing along a faith. Didn't always get it right, but they were passing it along. And then we get to Joshua, and Joshua is this mighty leader. There had been a land that had been promised to them. Hundreds of years previous, generations had passed, but now Joshua was going to lead the generation that he led into this promised land. And Joshua is one of these, you know, uh, these guys that I'm sure if you were made out of jello, he could say, you can run through a brick wall and you believe him. A great leader, a mighty warrior, and he led his generation, into the promised land. And they captured it. They reclaimed it as theirs. They enjoyed the fruit of all that that promised land had. He did amazing things. But then, there's a whole book in the Bible named Joshua. But the book after that is Judges. In Judges chapter 2, verse 10, this is right after Joshua. It says, after that, whole generation had been gathered to their ancestors. Another generation grew up who knew neither the Lord nor what he had done for Israel. And it says they did evil. And verse 10 to me is one of the saddest verses in the entire Bible. You know, I've thought before, maybe I should, I've thought about putting this up in my office even just as a reminder that I, we cannot be the generation that fails to pass along our faith because we're so busy trying to win more. Joshua was a great leader, but was he? Like he captured the promised land, but did he pass along the faith? Something happened there. 
what happened there? I want you to just picture this Joshua's generation. They're living large. They're in the promised land. They're living in the blessings of the promise, but they forget somewhere along the way to help them understand who made this promise. And some of us, we're living in the blessing of the promise and we haven't passed along the stories, the, the gospel message to the one who made the promise. And it's that old question, you know, that's in scripture. What, what is the point of gaining everything and then losing your soul? What's the point? What's the point of us having all the things, but our kids and our teenagers and our young adults falling away from the faith because they've seen things that aren't lived out? He's a legend, Joshua is. He did the impossible. He turned dreams, it seems like, into reality through God's work, but another generation didn't know God. You know, I think... I just want us to say this out loud. Say it. And the next generation didn't know God. Say it. That should make us sick. Because that's at the crossroads that we're at right now. The next generation didn't know God, it says, and they turned to evil. And that speaks a lot. And I, I want you to understand this. The church is going to continue to progress. You know, I was looking this up in there. There are around 192 nations in the world. Out of those 192 nations, the church is thriving in 172 of them. But there are 20 where it is not. And one of those includes our nation. Where the church is not thriving and not growing. It is declining and the people that claim Jesus as their Lord is not increasing. And I, I read that and I looked at that and I kind of asked myself, who let this happen? How did this happen? What happened? And I want you guys to tuck your toes. If you got your steel-toed boots on, I'm about to step on them, so you better be ready. When I said to myself, how did this happen? Who let this happen? It felt like God said, you did. And I was like, oh man. Somewhere along the way, our generation decided that it's more important about my preferences than it is about passing along the faith. And it may have not been you personally, but us as a church, somewhere along the way, we didn't live out our faith in a way that was compelling to the next generation to live out that same faith. We didn't fight for the truth. We kind of caved and bended until we realized they started to think, well, maybe I can just make my own truth too. Yeah. All of these things are things that we kind of didn't pass this along the way that maybe we wanted to, but we still have a chance to right the ship, to make things right. Because a lot of times we've let social activities and fun and success dictate our schedules, and we've paid way more attention to that than actually speaking truth in our homes and telling them about Jesus. If you had all of your prayers answered, from the previous month, if all of them were answered, how many young people would know Jesus? Are you actually praying for your son, your daughter, your nephew? Are you praying, you know, there's that annoying kid down the street. Are you praying for that kid to come to a saving knowledge of Jesus? If we, are we actually praying for this? Are we praying that the next generation would really love Jesus? We've got to be the example. We've got to be the ones that are setting it. And I thought to myself, man, if, 
if our kids and teens followed our example, if they followed our example, and they did just what they saw us doing, would they love Scripture? If they followed our example, would they actually love and value Scripture? If they followed our example, would they actually live generously? Or would they live in constant worry and strife? If they followed our example, how much faith would be shared? Because how much faith are we sharing? How often do we share the message of Jesus? Because that's what they're doing. It's not just about getting them to church. They're following an example throughout the week. If you've got teenagers, it's not just about bringing them on Wednesday night or being here on, on Sunday and thinking that we're supposed to instill that faith. That's your job, parents. They're following you. And if you're not a parent... You're probably somebody's grandparent or friend or aunt or uncle. They're looking. They're seeking. Are you going to be authentic with this? Or are you just going to put on this show where you show up on a Sunday, but it's really just about you? Again, here's what I want us to feel. Feel convic- conviction, not condemnation. God wants to inspire us to do better. It's not to feel like you're being beat up. So if right now you're feeling anything, it's probably, it's conviction, not condemnation. We don't serve a God who condemns. We serve a God who inspires us to do better. So here's the greatest impact we can truly make on the next generation is just to show them what it really gen, like genuinely looks like to follow Jesus. I, I kind of mentioned that we were going to be doing something. And I want to kind of just share what that is. So in a couple weeks, on November 19th, we're going to take an offering. And a lot of times at churches, they do kind of an end-of-year push, like, um, you know, big heart for the house or something to just really to set their balance of their finances strong and to be right. That's great. I don't care about that. I want to pass things on to the next generation. And so here's what we're going to do. In just a couple weeks, we're going to take a, we're going to, I'm going to ask you, come with your best, biggest gift. Lead the way in generosity. And here's three things that we're going to invest in. First thing is, we know that a kid is not going to be, feel safe and confident unless they're around a healthy marriage. A lot of our problems in society is because the marriages aren't strong. And so we are going to take some of that money and we're going to invest in marriages. And here's what that looks like. I'm going through some training right now to lead some marriage classes. But we want to be able to do them to pass on very minimal cost to any parent. And some of that, the materials cost money. And how many of you guys know childcare costs money? And we want to just be able to offer it and say, anyone who wants to come and grow as a parent and fall more in love with really what it is, it's marriaging. It's marriage. If you want to fall more in love with your spouse, because healthy marriage leads to healthy children. And we're going to invest in marriages. As a church, we're going to do that. We're going to invest in those. And so as you guys give, it's going to allow us that we can just say, hey, come for free because we've got all of it cared for that we can pay for childcare and the resources. We also want to update some space for our young adults. We've got a warehouse back here. And eventually, we're going to outgrow our kids' space. We're going to need to walk, knock down walls and make more kids' space. But for right now, we can just update and remodel some of that warehouse, give it more of a warehouse vibe. And we want to have a space where we can regularly gather with young adults and pour into them and just show them what it looks like to live a life of faith, to pass that along. And then the third thing we want to do is we want to send our students to serve. And this is what I mean by that. When a student, when a college young adult, when they go on a missions trip, 
it opens their eyes to a lot of things. And it changes their perspective of their faith. But going on a mission trip is really expensive. And I would love to be able to say, hey, we'll give you a half, half off of your mission trip because I still want them to have buy-in. I still want them to have a piece to play in this. But we want to be able to take 15 to 20 to 30 and just say, we will help pay for half of this. Let's go. And I believe if we invest in marriages, if we invest in our young adults, if we send our students around the world to go serve, we will be a church that is impacting the next generation. And that handoff of faith, it may not be strong everywhere, but it's going to be strong here. Amen. So here's our goal. We want to raise around 30,000 bucks above and beyond what we usually bring in. And I want you to go home and think about what can I give? What can I do? In November, I think it's 19th. Yep, November 19th. You can give towards it today, but really November 19th, I want you to all come prayed up. Just say, okay, God, here's what I want to give towards this. Above and beyond what I normally give, this is what I want to give. And I kind of thought about it and calculated. It's about, if each family gave around 200, 250 bucks, we'd cover a lot of that expense. We need to be serious about investing in our next generation with our time, with our resources. We need more people serving with our students and our young adults. And some people are like, I don't really, with our students and our kids. Some people are like, I don't like kids. That's a perfect way for God's grace to be extended to you. <laughs> or I don't have the time. I'm going to pick on Greg because he's sitting right here. Greg is one of the busiest humans I know on the face of this planet. But he makes time to go serve with our kids. Because he understands the importance of that. I know that's also, it's not his favorite place in the world. But he goes and he serves with our kids. So when I hear people say, I don't have the time. If you work on Sunday, I get it. That's totally different. But man, we, got, we have the time that we make time for. So, before we end, I want to share something kind of strange. We're a little early. We've got baptism stuff today, but... Every school year, I like to dig deep into one of those. You guys know the books in the Bible that we all skip? Because they're kind of sometimes, I mean, sometimes it's a little boring and dry, right? I always, every school year, I think I'm going to go to one of those books and I'm going to dive deep in it and try to see, God, what do you want to say through this book? What do you want to say? Because all scripture, I believe, is inspired and useful for us. Sometimes we just got to read through it and, you know, say, God, what do you want? So I've been reading through the book of Numbers since about August. And I got to a passage in Numbers chapter 8. And Moses is giving direction to the Levites. And the Levites are the family that's supposed to take care of the tabernacle. That's, that's your church workers. They're taking care of the house that God dwells in. And I read this passage. And I felt like God just said, read it again. Read it again, read it again. And I didn't like what I started to think and feel when I read this passage. And I'd read Numbers before, but I'd never stopped here in this spot. So Numbers chapter 8, verses 23 through 26. The Lord said to Moses, This applies to the Levites. Men 25 years old or more shall come to take part in the work at the tent of meeting. But at the age of 50, they must retire from their regular service and work no longer. They may assist their brothers in performing their duties at the tent of meeting, but they themselves must not do the work. This then is how you assign the responsibilities of the Levites. And I read this and I thought, at age 50, what, what is this? 
And here's what I don't want you to, it's, it's written to a specific people at a specific time. And it's not saying this, hey, you guys at 50, good enough, retire. I know we got woos. There's no retirement ever in scripture, honestly. It's not something that's taught. And it's also not saying you can stay in your mom's basement and play video games until you're 25. No, that's not what it's saying either. Neither one of those things. But I read that and I thought, I'm 43. If I was a church worker in that time, that means I got seven years. Seven years. And I thought, I just wrote, I just spent time praying and wrote out kind of a 10-year plan of where I see church 419. And where I see us going, what I see us doing. Man, I feel like when I'm 50, I'll be just hitting my stride. Let's rock and roll. I'm ready to go. I thought, I'm not passing this off to some punk 25-year-old. <laughs> Who do they think they are? And I started to think through. I began to think, when I'm 50... When I'm 50, who's going to be 25 years old? Out of the people that I know, who's going to be 25 years old? So I want to bring someone up here that will be 25 years old when I'm 50. And it's my daughter. So this is my oldest daughter. I told her, I said, look as eclectic as you can today. And so here she is. <laughs> but this is my daughter, Michaela. And when I'm 50, she's going to be 25. And I don't believe that when I'm 50, I need to retire and be done with ministry work. But here's what, they, what God was trying to show us. I'm a God of generations. And one generation has to start learning how to pass it off to the next before you're too old to pass it off. Because it didn't say that they just walked away. It says you need to continue to show them and to be there with them. I don't know if any of you have ever been to a church that failed to pass off. It's hard. And as I read through this, God kind of spoke to me and he showed me something. Why don't you take this? That's her candle. This is my candle. God told us to be a light. And man, I think I've shined my light pretty bright, but as you can see, mine's not nearly, it's not nearly as much left in it as yours. I'm going to light this. Hopefully I can. There we go. And a lot of us, some of the times the older generation wants to be put on the candle stand for as long as possible. If this represents our energy and our experience and our knowledge, we want, we want to be the ones that shine. The best thing you can do, because honestly, some of y'all, I know this sounds harsh, you're down here. And it's not to be harsh, it's just the reality of life. It truly is. But here's... <laughs> the enemy constantly is blowing out their candle. Society is constantly blowing out their candle. Society is constantly, and they, they get nervous and scared. Do I really believe this? And they do the thing. They hide it under a bushel. No, you know that old song? <laughs> and the greatest thing we can do is not to put ourselves and say, this is the way I like worship. This is the way I like scripture taught. These are the things I want a church to be. The greatest thing we can do is say, hey, 
Because when I lit these, here's what I want you to hear, older people. Your light is still just as bright. Both of these were burning just as bright. It's just, how am I going to use this now? And the most effective thing I can do is just to begin to light others. And she's got to, in order to light this, did you see, she had to lean into me. Some of you younger people, you know what you need to do? You need to start finding some people a generation ahead of you and start leaning into them. But you older, we've got to also be the ones that are saying, okay, I'm going to seek out who wants to lean in. Because as I read in this passage, man, we've got to pass this along. One generation passing to the next. Pray for the people that are younger than you to meet and follow Jesus. To understand that he loves them that he's got a plan for them, that he is bigger than any need. My daughter was the youngest intern when we were at the church I was just at. She was 16 years old, and she now works there. She is on their staff. Lawson, who I brought up here, she's one of our like unofficial interns, man. And like I said, we couldn't do. Here's the thing. They're having a little bit of a hard time running kids ministry today because all these students are usually the ones that make that happen. We couldn't do ministry without them. And that's great. But they also need you to come alongside when they're, and be in the spaces that they're in. Serve with the kids, with the students. If you go serve with the kids, you're, you're meeting students and kids. You're pouring into both. And you're saying, it's not about me continuing to say, here's what I want. I'm the brightest light. It's about me saying, you know, sometimes I do need to shine, but other times I'm just going to light up everyone else. Here, blow this out because it's burning your hand. <laughs> Sorry, you're getting candle wax on you. So I want us to just pray. And again, don't feel, don't feel convicted, like don't feel condemned. Do not feel condemned. If I was preaching this message to other churches, there may be a lot harsher feeling, but I believe our church is headed in the right direction already. I talk to grandparents and seniors almost every Sunday. They're like, I'm so glad that I can be at a place where my young adults and my teenagers and my, grand, my grandkids can hear about Jesus. I hear that all the time. And that's the church I want to be. A church of generations. One pouring in to the next. I've invited our worship team back out here to come and to join us. I, hopefully these don't burn in here. Let's see. You can stay up here with us. I want to say one just last thing. Sometimes when you get to a certain age, the enemy wants to start saying a lie. The enemy wants to start saying to you, you get to that certain age and the enemy wants to say, you're no longer qualified. You're no longer qualified for this. Young people, the thing is, you hear the same thing. The enemy whispers that to you too. You're not qualified. You're not ready for this. The enemy always is out to disqualify us from doing ministry. But here's what God is. God is a qualifier and he says, you are loved and you are called no matter what age. You are not disqualified from the work of the kingdom.